Support comes from Mosby Building Arts, a design-build company committed to remodeling the right way. Visit callmosby.com to get project inspiration for any room of your house. From the St. Louis Public Radio Newsroom, this is The Gateway. It's Monday, July 27th. I'm Wayne Pratt. Most hospitals are not allowing patients with COVID-19 to have visitors. That means families have to say goodbye to their loved ones at the door. They both left. And when they left, I was just like, oh my gosh, what's going on? St. Louis Public Radio's Shayla Farzan reports on loved ones separated by coronavirus. That's in just a few minutes. St. Louis County Executive Sam Page will announce a new round of restrictions today aimed at slowing the spread of coronavirus. The state says more than 42,000 people in Missouri have tested positive for the virus since March. There have been more than 25,000 in the bi-state St. Louis region. The numbers started to decline after an initial peak in April, but the amount of positive cases has increased rapidly since late June. Page says members of the St. Louis Metropolitan Pandemic Task Force and other health experts are concerned, and new restrictions must be put in place to help cope with the virus. Child care advocates are concerned about supervision for children who will continue to be largely out of school this fall because of the pandemic. St. Louis Public Radio's Ryan Delaney reports. School districts are opting to stay completely online or offer just a few days of learning in a classroom. That will mean parents will continue to work from home, reduce their hours, or be pushed entirely out of the workforce so they can watch their children. Wilford Pinckney is the director of the St. Louis Mayor's Office of Children and Youth. He says all the health guidelines that are making it hard for schools to fully reopen makes it difficult to piece together large-scale child care alternatives, too. The fluid nature of this process is what makes it a challenge for everybody that's working real hard to do this right. The YMCA and Boys and Girls Clubs are working quickly on ways to offer safe spaces. Some school districts are putting plans together, too. I'm Ryan Delaney, St. Louis Public Radio. Missouri lawmakers are headed back to Jefferson City today at the call of the governor. Mike Parson says the special legislative session is going to be, quote, narrowly focused on violent crime. He says he also wants the session to be quick. Based on schedules from the House and Senate, it may last well into August. Parson says removing residency requirements for St. Louis police officers, unlawful transfer of weapons, and a witness protection fund will be among the topics. The Urban League of Metropolitan St. Louis and Grace Hill Settlement House have merged. The combined social service agency plans to expand its Head Start program to help prepare children from low-income families for school. St. Louis Public Radio's Andrea Henderson reports. The league has a $38 million federal grant to boost its Head Start program with more training, education materials, technology, and supplies. Gwendolyn Diggs is the Urban League's vice president of Head Start. She says most children from impoverished neighborhoods do not have access to quality early childhood education. When it comes to educating the young, vulnerable population, so many times that group may fall through the cracks. So we're hoping that our region will be able to serve more families. The league now has 13 early childhood centers and can welcome nearly 500 new students this school year. With the merger, the Urban League will provide housing, food, and medical assistance to about 125,000 people in the region. I'm Andrea Henderson, St. Louis Public Radio.
Many hospitals stopped allowing visitors to their intensive care units months ago. Public health experts say it's a necessary step to reduce the chances of spreading coronavirus. But as St. Louis Public Radio's Shayla Farzan reports, not being able to see their sick loved ones takes an emotional toll on families. In late March, Celeste Marks developed what felt like the common cold. But then the 66-year-old started feeling strange. It was almost as if I was going to throw up when I started to cough. And I would at times. You know, I would just start gagging. I just felt so incredibly lousy, very, very weak. She kept feeling worse, and a couple days later, her temperature shot up, and it got harder to breathe. Marks has lupus, a chronic autoimmune disease that increases her risk of getting infections. So her husband, Len, and their youngest daughter drove Marks to St. Luke's Hospital in Chesterfield. At the time, only one family member could wait in the ER, so the three of them said goodbye at the door. They both left, and when they left, I was just like, oh my gosh, what's going on? And yeah, I did feel alone and isolated. I really did. Marks tested positive for the coronavirus and was diagnosed with pneumonia. At home, Len Marks was calling the hospital three or four times a day. He pictured his wife laying in a hospital bed, gasping for air, and he felt helpless. So he started carrying around a spiral notebook. And whenever he talked to the doctors and nurses, he frantically scribbled down as much as he could. I was writing like a a high school student quickly. Okay, tell me more. Tell me more. The learning curve on all this, I never knew what an oxygen saturation level was until this. Mark started sleeping with his cell phone on his pillow. And on Sunday morning, a week after his wife was admitted, the hospital called. Celeste Marks was about to be put on a ventilator, and she wanted to see a priest beforehand. Len Marks remembers his daughter, Lisa, who has autism, turning to him that day with a question. We got the call that she was going to the ICU. And Lisa, just rather casually, with a serious kind of voice, is mom going to die today? And boy, does that hit you. They're one of tens of thousands of families in the U.S. with loved ones who have been hospitalized for COVID-19. Before the pandemic, most ICUs allowed families to visit. But as the coronavirus swept across the country this spring and patients crowded into ICUs, it became too risky to let visitors inside. Tracy Montauk is a registered nurse at St. Louis University Hospital. Until recently, she worked in one of their ICU units. And she says things looked very different there before the outbreak. Families, you know, could just be in the room and play music on their iPhone for their family members or tell them what was going on in the neighborhood or tell them a funny story about their dog, even if these patients were mostly on the ventilator. And she says families could be more involved in the medical care of their loved ones. I think by just being in the room, families were able to absorb a lot of information and they were able to have, you know, continuous and repeated conversations and questions answered in real time. Montauk says there are very good reasons for keeping visitors out of the ICU in a pandemic. But she says a lot of families are anxious about their sick relatives, and not being able to see them is painful. She recently co-authored a paper with recommendations for ICU staff during the pandemic, like not being afraid to show emotion in front of families and using video chat as early as possible. We would kind of give them a tour. Here's the room they're in. 
Here's the monitors. That's what this all this stuff means. This is the medicines. But despite the best efforts of staff members, being isolated in the hospital with COVID-19 can be incredibly traumatic for patients and their families. Amanda Blackwell lives in East St. Louis and works in admissions in the ER at St. Alexius Hospital. In late March, the 38-year-old got sick, really sick. She remembers crawling to the bathroom, barely able to breathe. My mother was calling me every day, all day, and I remember talking to her, and I remember her upset, and she was crying, and she said, please call them, because I'm her only child. You know, she begged me, and I finally called 911. Blackwell tested positive for the coronavirus at St. Elizabeth's Hospital in O'Fallon, and the next day, she was put on a ventilator. She woke up 23 days later. I was really confused. I was out of, I was scared. One of the nurses was really sweet and I was on isolation. She brought her phone in there to let my mom talk to me. And I didn't even know who my mom was. But I kept looking at the lady going, like, I'm shaking my head, like, I don't know who this is. It was my mother. I had no idea who she was. Being on a ventilator for that long is really hard on your body. Blackwell went through weeks of rehab, learning how to walk and talk again. When she finally got out of the hospital in late May, almost two months after being admitted, her mom was there. Oh my God, I just cried. I just grabbed her. I didn't want to let her go. Blackwell says it was traumatic for her mom, waiting at home all those weeks, knowing she might never see her daughter again. The experience took a serious toll on her mom, Blackwell says, and she won't discuss the experience with anyone but her daughter. Clinical social worker and therapist Velma Bell works with trauma patients and their families. She says being present when a loved one is ill is often an important part of our rituals around sickness and death. And for some people, it provides a sense of purpose. I think we believe a voice or a touch or a smell can somehow provide relief and support, you know, for that person to fight and hold on. For Celeste Marks, the patient in Chesterfield, knowing that her husband and daughter were waiting at home was motivation to get better. After spending more than three weeks in the hospital, she was discharged. She says that day, when her husband picked her up, was one of the happiest in her life. I was even afraid to touch him, you know, but he just came right over to me and kissed me. We both had masks on, and and that was just so wonderful. That was just so, so wonderful. But Mark says she still feels guilty, knowing what her family went through, and she hopes they'll never have to experience that again. I'm Shayla Farzan, St. Louis Public Radio. Our Maria Altman edited that report. Shula Newman is the executive editor of St. Louis Public Radio, music by Ryan McNeely of Adult Fur. I'm Wayne Pratt. From the St. Louis Public Radio newsroom, this has been The Gateway. Support comes from Mosby Building Arts, a design-build company committed to remodeling the right way. Visit callmosby.com to get project inspiration for any room of your house.